My name is Charles, the lead pastor here. Welcome to our Zoom Sunday service at the river. We're so glad you could join us. Last week, I talked about how divided America is today with culture war between the conservative Christians on the right and the secular liberals on the left. And today, I'd like to address another issue that brings sharp disagreements, and that's abortion. Many Christians feel that Trump does not have good character on the statement of the year, but they feel also that abortion is the greatest evil of our time. They have to back Trump because they want to save the lives of unborn babies. There are Catholic bishops out there who say no Christian can vote Democrat because of this issue. So, I've been asked many times, how do we think about this? How do we engage with Christian friends who believe abortion trumps everything? First, I'd like to acknowledge that abortion is a big issue. More than half a million abortions are performed in America annually. If you see abortion as murder, that's a lot of lost lives. So it's the single issue that justifies today's alliance between the Christian moral majority and a president caught with a porn star, who represents just about everything conservative Christians have traditionally condemned in the past. So, how to think about this? i like to offer some historical perspective first, because this is not new. People of faith have acted like this before, repeatedly going back to the time of Jesus. Back then, Sabbath was the single issue that trumped everything. This single issue caused the conservative church at the time to oppose Jesus. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 3, another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, that's a church at the time, and the man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. What a revealing passage for our own times. Jesus, by this time, had become a rising and respected teacher, perceived by many to be a prophet sent by God because of his ability to teach and to perform miracles. And the Pharisees, which was the conservative church at the time, as I explained in my last sermon, they were not evil monsters. All they wanted was to honor God by following the Bible. 
And they became greatly concerned because Jesus acted and taught as if Sabbath was no big deal. So in this passage, they closely observed Jesus to see if he would heal on the Sabbath, thereby breaking the rules. Jesus asked them a powerful question. Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. Isn't the answer obvious? Why do they remain silent? It's because the conservative church at the time viewed Sabbath as a life or death issue for the nation. The Bible said Israel was destroyed and sold into slavery because they did not observe the Sabbath. Sabbath is the fourth in the Ten Commandments. It comes before even the command not to murder. We have to understand that the greatest collective trauma at the time was the destruction and exile of their whole nation. They had just managed to get the nation rebuilt. But once again, they were running into trouble with the Roman Empire. So they feared God's further punishment and wrath over the Sabbath issue. After all, that's what the Bible says. And here comes a rising rabbi, a very popular prophet-like figure, who acts and taught as if Sabbath is not important. That's why the chief priest, who was basically the Pope at the time, said when they decided to kill Jesus, he said it is better for one man to die than the whole nation to perish. They really were God-fearing leaders and they thought the whole nation would perish as a punishment from God unless they acted against Jesus. Isn't it so interesting that fearing God is what led to killing the God incarnate when God appeared to them? They compromised all their values when they make an alliance with the Herodians to kill Jesus. Because the Bible describes Herodians as completely ruthless, corrupt, and immoral. For example, killing all the babies in a region because of possible threat to their rule. Or, as the Bible describes the Salomon's dance, just completely immoral. Everything conservative church despised and condemned. Yet against Jesus, they are united. Why? How? It's because the conservative church was motivated by fear and anger. That's why this type of thing happens again and again. A single issue captures the mind, riles up the people with outrage, and it overwhelms everything else with fear and anger. Like late-term abortions. It sounds so outrageous, baby killing, but the reality is much more complicated. There are 6,000 late-term abortions in America. That sounds like a lot, but in a country of 330 million people, that's actually very, very few. That means it only happens in rare, complicated circumstances. Buttigieg gave insightful interview on it recently. Hypotheticals like late-term abortions are set up, he said, to provoke a strong emotional reaction. 
But let's put ourselves in the shoes of a woman in that situation. If it's that late in your pregnancy, that means almost by definition you've been expecting to carry it to term. We're talking about women who have perhaps chosen the name, women who have purchased the crib. Families that then get the most devastating medical news of their lifetime, something about the health or the life of the mother that forces them to make an impossible choice. That decision is not going to be made any better medically or morally because the government is dictating how that decision should be made. The women should draw that line. What Buttigieg talks about here actually happens in real life. It's not just a hypothetical. Michigan Senator Peters told a personal story this past week. Some years ago, Peters and his wife Heidi were pregnant with their second child, a baby they very much wanted. Heidi was four months along when her water broke, leaving the fetus without amniotic fluid, a condition it could not survive. The doctor told the Peters to go home and wait for a miscarriage to happen naturally. But it didn't happen. So the doctor recommended an abortion because the baby could not possibly survive. But it wasn't an option due to the hospital policy banning the procedure. So he sent the couple home again to wait for a miscarriage. But Heidi's health deteriorated. The situation became dire. She could lose her uterus in a matter of hours or even die. The doctor appealed to the hospital's board for an exception to their anti-abortion policy, but was denied. The doctor said to them, they refused not based on good medical practice, but based on politics. I recommend you find another doctor who can do this immediately. They were able to get into another hospital right away because they were friends with its chief administrator. Heidi was rushed into an emergency abortion that saved her uterus and her life. Now, how many people are privileged enough to know heads of hospitals? After all, Peters became a senator. What would have happened to ordinary people? It's complicated, isn't it? When abortion is banned outright, Many would die in situations like this because you wouldn't be able to find a facility equipped to perform abortions anywhere nearby. And this is already the case in many conservative states. So simply overturning Roe v. Wade is likely to have some terrible side consequences and it might not actually reduce abortion meaningfully in reality. We must remember what happened in our past when a single issue captured the imagination of the conservative church? A century ago, the conservative church mobilized the country to prohibit alcohol. The language used to whip up anger and fear then was apocalyptic. Alcohol was the single greatest evil of all time. It destroyed millions of families. And actually, that's true. It still does. So they managed to pass a constitutional amendment to ban alcohol. Most of us know this as prohibition. The conservative Christians rallied around the banner of anti-alcohol league, very much like the pro-life banner today. It became the most powerful political pressure group 
in U.S. history. No other organization had ever managed to amend the nation's constitution before or since. It was the great moral crusade of that time, much as abortion is today. And I would argue the case was much more clear-cut in the case of alcohol in terms of its destroying power, its killing power. Now what happened with prohibition? I don't think anybody wants to try that again. So after 13 years, another amendment was passed to repeal the prohibition. And nobody talks about banning alcohol today. Pro-life camp never mentions it, even though it still destroys millions of lives. This should serve as a lesson for us. We should remember, as Christians, Jesus actively resisted power. This is an insight from my good pastor friend Josh Harder. When power was offered to Jesus, he saw it as temptation from hell. He said, get away from me, Satan. He did this consistently throughout his life, even unto the cross. Couldn't Jesus make the world better by getting to rule the world? Why did Jesus refuse power? Because he was all about changing hearts, I would argue. He refused to impose his will on others, even if that can lead to better behavior. I cannot emphasize this enough. Jesus actively resisted taking power. So why are the followers of Jesus, Christians, conservative Christians, so interested in taking power above all else, it seems? Enough to make an alliance with someone like Trump, who is a complete Herodian, if there ever was one. Shouldn't the alarm bells go off? Conservative people of faith in alliance with a Herodian? Didn't that result in the greatest opposition to God in history? All in the name of God, out of good intentions, from good-hearted people? But it happens again and again. In Europe a century ago, many conservative Christians supported Nazis out of fear of communists. There are verified Vatican documents about how the Pope himself supported Nazis. It's not that Christians like the Nazis, but communism, this godless ideology, was so greatly feared, Nazis became the preferred alternative. I agree that communism is responsible for untold misery around the world. But to support the Nazis, it is considered by many to be a big reason why Europe turned secular after World War II because the church lost so much credibility. I'm afraid something similar is happening in America today. Christians should remember never to make a single issue lead us to support inhuman, immoral power. Don't let anger and fear drive you. Let unconditional love drive you. Because our faith in the living God should be stronger than our fears and our outrages. Our mission is to influence hearts towards unconditional love at all times. Abortion is a complicated issue that should not be reduced to anger-rousing slogans. 
For example, consider the mothers. There are many sides to this issue. The fetus takes bone and other nutrients from the mother. Not to mention nine months of life change, body change, and then the rest of life implications. The situation can be compared to hospitals that has life support systems or drugs, but some of those can be very expensive. Imagine someone on life support or a drug that costs a million dollars. This is not just a hypothetical. There are several drugs that cost a million dollars. For example, Zolgensma by Novartis actually costs two million dollars, but it can save thousands of children's lives. Imagine a child needing Zolgensma, but no insurance. Should we make hospitals give out Zolgensma for free? Because otherwise the baby dies, right? But we don't. And we don't call that murder. We understand that if the hospital refuses to lose $2 million on a drug or a procedure, well, people will die. But if we force the hospitals to save those lives without any financial support, all the hospitals will go bankrupt. And then where would we be? So we understand it's a complicated situation that cannot be reduced to slogans like baby killers. If we wanted a different outcome, we need to support the hospitals even if it costs the nation hundreds of billions of dollars. Likewise, if we really wanted to reduce abortion, we need to support the mothers. I can think of several ways that would be more effective than outright banning abortion. Because even if Roe v. Wade was overturned, which I believe could very well happen after Amy Barrett is confirmed, but will that make abortion go away? Remember prohibition. Did you know that some estimates of illegal abortions before Roe v. Wade are double the current number of abortions today? So how effective will it be? Doesn't it feel like repeat of prohibition? Because already there are no abortion clinics in 90% of American counties. People living in red states like Texas or Louisiana have to drive hundreds of miles already. They can drive to a blue state as easily as finding an abortion clinic in their own state. So this will affect only the very poor people in red states who can't afford to drive long distance. In other words, Roe v. Wade is already effectively dead by a thousand cuts. There isn't much left there. So more than anything else, this feels like an issue to rile up people for money and power for political purposes. If we really wanted to reduce abortion, we need to provide better support for mothers who are facing very difficult choices. Just as AA group meetings have been much more effective than prohibition, supporting people, changing hearts, and influencing people as Christ did should be the Christian focus. This nation can do it. We spend a trillion dollars on defense. It's more than the next 10 nations combined. Why are we so afraid? Fraction of that money can do so much to help so many mothers. So let's stop with the moral outrage around a single issue that's in reality a very complicated issue. Is it lawful? to save or kill 
on Sabbath. We must not let a single issue make us compromise the rest of our faith and our values. God is alive. We should not be willing to make an alliance with the Herodians over a complex issue like abortion. Let's learn from our history so that we would not find ourselves standing against God. Well, I have more to say. It's a complicated topic, and I'm sure you have things to say. I'm very curious to hear your thoughts. So please join us on our Zoom Sunday service discussion at 11.45 or in our weekly Zoom groups. I myself am leading one on Wednesday evenings at 8. Hope to see you soon. Bye, everyone. Thank you.